Hi there, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Movie Talk, episode number five. My name is Jad. I'm your host and a writer for The Workprint. And I'm joined today by two of my lovely friends, Rob Cook, who's been on this before, and Dan Coglin. Rob, say hi real quick. Hello, this is Robert Cook. How y'all doing? Nice, nice. Dan? Hey, what's up? This is Dan Coglin. Rock on, rock on, guys. All right, so you know the rules. Chime in and all that good stuff. Let's start talking about our latest movie review, which is called The Platform or El Oyo in uh, Spanish, in Basque Spanish. And, uh, yeah, what did you guys think about it? It's a pretty good movie, right? I did, yeah. I thought it was a great movie. Um, so just a, just a point of clarification, uh, El Hoyo in, in Spanish uh, does not mean the platform. Uh, it means the hole, uh, which to us, uh, you know, implies, I guess, uh, a jail or prison. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting choice to translate it as the platform rather than the hole. That is a good observation. Rob... Can you explain to us a little bit on um, what the movie's about? Uh, I would say, uh, quick, <laughs> quick as a uh, summary of the film, um, a aspiring degree holder agrees to be in a large uh, prison-like building uh, where he has a cellmate, and every day a platform drops down and uh, provides food to everyone on each uh, floor of the building um, with each uh, floor underneath uh, getting the leftovers of the higher floor. Exactly, exactly. And that's, I think, where the English translation of the name, or not really English translation, but the English name of the movie, The Platform, comes in, right? 100%, um, but it's just an interesting choice to focus on the, the platform aspect of it rather than the, the whole, you know? Um, like to call it the jail in the first place or the hole, I guess, as uh, you know, rather than to focus on, you know, the, the centerpiece of the movie, the platform. Um, it's an interesting, to me, it's an interesting thing. Maybe we can talk about it later. Absolutely. We can talk about it now, actually. What do you yeah. guys, why do you guys think they decided to use the platform as opposed to the hole? <clears throat> Sorry for the cough, guys. I have the virus. I don't. <laughs> Thankfully, I do not have the virus. But I'm a little coughy and my voice is a little raspy. If, if uh, So I do apologize to our listeners for that. 100%. Um, so my own guess about why they used the platform instead of the hole is um, the hole might the, the hole might like uh, imply something a little bit different uh, than the platform. Maybe uh, maybe by implying maybe by calling it the hole, um, it implies too much about it being about prison rather than it being about um, life in general. Uh, and that the platform um, by focusing on the platform, you get more of a like a, a larger like allegory uh, than uh, than just about prison. Because um, it, it definitely does uh, give you an idea. I mean, especially uh, in my own in my own work outside of this, um, you know, I, I do some small like volunteer work with regard to uh, to helping prisoners and whatnot. Um, and uh, it did it did kind of like strike me as uh, you know, almost I mean, comparatively almost less um, you know less uh, degrading and less terrible than our actual prison system, um, which is kind of uh, you know it's kind of insane. Um, that this horror movie manages to be like a little bit nicer than our actual prison system, but um, so yeah. So I, for me, for me, I definitely started out thinking about it as uh, thinking about the, uh, the uh, as an allegory for the prison system, and uh, you know I'm sure we'll talk more about this later. But it obviously grows to talk more uh, more than about just the prison system. Exactly, and Rob brought up something really good when it came to his uh, quick summary of the movie. It's this idea that you have this platform that exists within the center of this prison, right? Yeah. So we know it's like some form of a prison. We don't know if it's technically 
um, meant for criminals. Well, uh, don't we don't we find out during the movie that uh, you can be sentenced to it? <clears throat> I think you can be sentenced to it. I think you could also volunteer yourself to be yes, within it, yeah. just like our protagonist Gorang, and yes. we'll talk about him in just a little bit. But Rob brought up a really good point that there's this platform within the prison, right? So here's where I think the hole and the platform kind of re- relate to each other, even though it's not a direct translation. Mm-hmm. And please feel free to agree or disagree with me on this, is that the way it's done is that there's a void in between the center of each floor, right? Sure. And within this void, which could be interpreted as a whole, um, is where this platform filled with food is moving from zero floor all the way down to the bottom of this building, which is also a uh, focus within the movie to kind of figure out how many floors exist yeah. within this prison. Rob, do you think that there is, or did you interpret, rather, something about the uh, physical structure of the platform? If you noticed, everything is very square-like, right? <clears throat> As opposed to an actual hole, which people can maybe perceive to be circular. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. Uh, I guess I thought of it sort of in regards to what Dan said. The whole, I, when I hear hole, I think prison. Yeah. I think, oh, this is a place that you put. It's it's it's, it's a prison within the prison. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. If there's yeah. a general population of people that have, you know, uh, you know, privileges, solitary the privileges yeah. you would expect. There's people in the hole. They have even less privileges. Uh, yeah, I as far as the the shape of the as far as the shape of it, I guess that goes. I guess I, I guess it works because I for some reason when I hear platform, I do think of you know square or like a rectangle true true so that does help out um and actually to piggyback on what dan said earlier i i do think that as opposed to calling it the whole calling it the platform is is good because it has a dual meaning which is great uh, for, for titles uh one it's literal yeah. uh, a big part of the plot is the pl- is the platform this is what gives the the protagonist the idea say wait i can use the platform in order to maybe change the system and and that's where the, the the other meaning kind of comes in because a lot of the movie talks a lot about a message Absolutely. an idea that at, at one point in the film uh, he's in there with the same administrator that si- made him sign up for it <laughs> and she's explaining to the person underneath them the point of the platform She's saying, hey, this is not just, you know, this isn't just a thing that comes down and you take your fill. No, no, no. This has a specific value, a specific meaning. We, we meant for it to mean this thing. You know, here's our portion. Here's your portion. Here's your portion, etc. And people are, abu- I guess, depending on your perspective, either abusing the platform or they're just ignoring the platform, the actual purpose of the platform. Yeah. So I would say that, that that's the... Or, I mean, so another thing, so another way of thinking about it is uh, sort of in the same way that we think about institutions in our government, right? Which is that the platform, if used in a specific way, would be equal, but it's, it's, a, it's a platform that is ripe for abuse, right? Exactly. That is almost so poorly designed as to be designed for abuse, right? Um, so, I mean, one, one way of thinking about it is that, um, it's that it's the prisoner's fault, right? That's probably how we how we are uh, in, how uh, the people who design the platform think about it. Um, but the other way of thinking about it is that the platform itself is so poorly designed that it's it can only be used for abuse. That because of human nature, 
it's it's been designed in such a way that it's going to always produce a, an unequal outcome for the people below it at the that bottom is such of it. a that is such a great point right exactly so the platform is literally the focus of the entire film right? absolutely this this kind of large rectangular tray that's moving from top to bottom in the building um it kind of looks like it's just uh like flying through <laughs> yeah great guess, visual metaphor for, <clears throat> yeah uh, absolutely yeah and the design is definitely flawed, right? There's no instructions given to it. They just know they have to eat at it from a certain time. And there's no way to enforce, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, there's no way to enforce the intent of it. Exactly. And it sends out also a uh, contradictory message visually, right? Yeah, exactly. It's rectangular. It's square. It's like a perfect square, a perfect rectangular, you know, a rectangular. Ah, I can't speak today. Rectangle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so people perceive it as kind of like uh, this godsend. Right? It's coming on from above. Absolutely, yeah. Down to them, giving them the necessities that they need in order to do that. And it opens up, I think, the door to a lot of different allegories um, that is explored in within the film. So what are some of the interpretations that you've guys had with the overall plot? So we have Goring. He's the main character. He's this uh, gentleman who's an academic of some sort. Yeah. He's allowed to bring in one item, of which he chooses a book, specifically uh, Don Quixote. Yes, yeah. And um, all right, so I have a habit, um, right? I have an argument to be made, I suppose. Um, so one thing that I would point out is that uh, the the items that um, that each person brings in with them uh, appear to me, and this you know I'm I'm willing to accept uh, some arguments against this uh, as they as they are made. Um, but uh, the items that uh, each person brings in uh, with them appear to me to represent something, or perhaps the totality of each person's personality. Um, so, for instance, when Garang brings in uh, his, um, you know, Don Quixote, uh, Don Quixote is a, um, is a person who lives according to a set of principles that um, don't really make perfect sense with the world uh, that, he, that he inhabits, right? Um, so Don Quixote, for everybody who's uh, listening, um, is a novel about a, uh, a, a rich guy in the 1600s um, who believes that he's a chivalric knight, right? Uh, who's following the, the ideas of uh, chivalry uh, in the 1600s when uh, at that point they were about 300 years out of date. Even back then in the 1600s, they were about 300 years out of date, right? So um, Don Quixote is an example of a guy who travels around um, and tries to live up to these knightly virtues in a time when these knightly virtues are not really relevant, right? So uh, one of the questions that's asked during the, uh, during the, the movie um, is that uh, someone asks, what kind of person would bring a book in here, right? Um, and the person who would bring a book in here is, you know, Goreng, right? Who is this, uh, um, and I think we'll probably get into this a little bit later, uh, but he's almost like this messianic figure, right? He's a, uh, he's a, a sort of a messiah for, for the... Um, for the whole, he's someone who comes in with uh, with these really like pure, strong ideals, uh, as evidenced by his uh, his uh, book and his desire to go in there just to get a degree and more or less a degree in human nature, right? Um, but he finds that he can't be in human nature and not become of human nature, right? He goes in uh, with the idea that he's going to observe human nature and come out with a degree, and instead, what he does is he goes in and finds out about human nature directly uh, from his initial, uh, you know, um, person that he that he rooms with, uh, Trimagasi. Um, so just to continue the metaphor for for uh, people carrying uh, their personalities in as their little item, uh, Trimagasi brings in an item from this like QVC uh, thing that he tells us about, right? Uh, Trimagasi is somebody whose entire life is lived in front of a TV, 
Um, so what he brings in with him is his danger, his uh, the danger that that's inherent to that that kind of life. His uh, and how is that danger exhibited? Um, so <clears throat> how is it shown to the by people? the by the ever sharpening of his knife? Uh, number one, but number two, that he uses his item to prey on the other people in uh, in the uh, the hole with him. Uh, and so also, why does that occur? Let's let's get into this because you're bringing up some very 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 important observations about thank you, this yeah. film uh, within this theme. And Rob, can you tell me a little bit about why, for example, Trimagasi would have a knife that constantly sharpens itself every time that it's utilized within that? Is there any way that you've interpreted it specifically? Uh, Trimagasi is, I, I don't know what, how to phrase this. He's the, I don't know, the god of the underclass or I don't know. Something. He's kind yeah, of, I, mean, kind of like I got that foil, as well. Right? He's a paragon. I would say that he is he is a he is a paragon of uh, of low income virtue. Yeah, <laughs> he is a person. No, seriously, he's a guy that has this weapon that, as he claims, you know, the more it cuts, the sharper it gets. Yeah, know? the more toned, the more struggle it goes through, and he he presents himself as, oh, I've been to the lowest, I've been down there, I've been up here. You know, this is a guy that's that's. He's he's such he's such a veteran of this system, and he thinks that all the all the injustices against him has made him stronger. And in a sense, maybe it has. It has made him like an apex. It, it makes him a predator. It, it 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 made him powerful. Yeah. Do you think he could represent the more primal aspect of human nature, whereas the protagonist Goring is more about the um, kind of like the academic or like the uh, he's a humanity spiritual major. antithesis. The spiritual, yeah, primal. the humanities, yeah. He's a humanities major. Uh, Trimagasi is a, a business student. Not just business. business I, I feel like he's a. I mean, so Trimagasi is clearly intended to be like the the impoverished of society, right? He's a. Uh, he's an old. He's an old yeah. man who uh, got who got sent into prison because he got so angry at the meaninglessness of his life that he threw a t- that he threw his TV out the window, right? So that's and his like. Th- yeah, and he killed somebody by throwing his TV outside the window, right? So that's his fundamental rebellion is is uh, not accepting the TV as his uh, as his like you know as his life. So then also, he could, though he does because he he keeps the samurai plus. That's right. Well, yeah. <laughs> Ironically. He, does. he keeps it. And I think he's kind of the representative, or what the, the artists are trying to say, rather. Um, specifically, the director, I'm trying to get his name up here really quickly, uh, Galder Gatilu Ratia. Sorry if I butchered his name. And it's also written by David DeSola and Pedro Riviero. Okay. But I think what these gentlemen were trying to convey to us as the viewers is that Trimagasi, right, this foil in a way to Goring. He's the, the average consumerist, yeah. right? He's someone who's sitting there consuming what's being fed to him constantly and doesn't question it, just kind of contextualize what's occurring within his own world and adheres to that thinking it's almost like the basic truth to it, right? Yeah. Which is why he really wanted to hold on, oddly enough, to the Samurai Plus. You find out that he ends up buying a knife called the Samurai and then he ends up buying an even sharper knife that sharpens itself called the Samurai Plus yes. within the film. And, um, you know, Goring is the opposite of that. He's someone who's looking into a book. He's looking into his imagination. He's questioning things. The first scene, when you see the platform come down with all the food there, what does Tremagasi do? He immediately eats. He immediately eats. He brings in this pillow. He puts it down. He sits down there, and he's like, you should eat. Why are you not eating? And then, you know, Goring is like, well, you know, I'll just hold on to this apple, and I'll do that later, which we find out is not a good idea. Uh, pretty quickly because the the whoever's in charge of this prison of this platform if you will are able to control the um the heat and the cold 
of the uh, of the building. So they can make it like freezing temperatures and they can make it really extremely hot to the point where it's uncomfortable and can kill people. It's true. But so Trimagasi is definitely who, a uh, he I mean he definitely has like a um you know he I you, I get what you're saying he definitely has like a, a, a these carnal desires, right? He uh, he he always uh, he he very much lives uh, with the goal of getting um food, you know, drink he definitely he drinks the alcohol he you know he he basically says uh there must be a lot of muslims and teetotalers up above right uh with the idea that their their wants and desires don't really make a lot of sense to him um and maybe uh, maybe benefit him right so the uh, i guess i guess what i'm what i'm getting at is that uh to me trimagasi seems to um kind of embody the uh, the proletariat and the inherent danger of the proletariat who becomes the uh you know the um the uh, the con- the consumer like so consumer focused right um, because and I, I just want to move on to Trimagasi and then I forgot what's the what's the administrator's name the per- the next person oh her name um, I think it's let me double check for you really quick uh, that's the older lady right yeah the older lady the one with breast cancer Imugiri 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 oh yeah, so right. wow so okay they all have uh, Indonesian names but so um, so Imugiri and Trimagasi are interesting uh, in foil to each other right uh, because uh, Trimagasi uh, so clearly is like someone who would not listen to Imugiri so and and Imugiri is so clearly someone who would be preyed on by uh, Trimagasi right so. They both teach uh, Goreng a lesson in that uh, their their desires and thoughts don't make any sense uh, with the other people who live in the in the hole, right? So that's something that Goreng uh, can can learn uh, learn from by having been exposed to these very two different people. You brought up a really good point a little bit earlier that I want to uh, expand upon a little bit, and that's the concept of the proletariat. Oh right? yeah. Um, the way I interpreted this film when I was watching this, it was a beautiful allegory for capitalism but more so trickle down economics yeah, absolutely. when it comes down to that this idea that you have the platform and this platform has food that's supposed to feed every single person within this building right literally and if you down. notice in the beginning whenever imigiri when she's interviewing uh goreng right she uh asks him what's your favorite type of food and then he says, like, why? why? Why is that? And I think he gives her an answer. But Snails. Says, well, yeah. we're going to make the meals for you guys for that. And as we meet her later on in the film, once they get switched up, um, and uh, just a little bit of a side note, every month they switch up the roommates and the floors of where the people sit within this, you know, building. Um, so he gets teamed up with this administrator who registered him to enter into this prison. And she's explaining that the chefs just make enough food to make sure they feed every single person on each level based on their necessities and their wants within that, and that they're not supposed to take more than their share of that. But as we see very quickly, that's not always the case, because by the time it hits, like, level, what is it, like, 20-something or whatever, by the time it's in the 40s, I think, uh, we're, like, exposed to level 48 when we first watch the film. The food is, like, I would say about, what, three-quarters of the way gone or maybe halfway done? Yeah, definitely close to gone. uh, I think that we get the idea that the food starts to become very sparse after 50 and that post like 90ish you're in you're you're in starvation territory yeah yeah maybe even sooner than that yeah. although they do they do say that some uh, so do you remember um, when they're on when they're on i think floor 32 right their their downstairs neighbors lived on 88 the the, the time before and they made it through together so they uh, and they do complain about it and say it was terrible, but they it seems like you know it seems like there's a, a space in the middle where 
you know, you might survive if you're really good at scavenging. But it's much tougher. Oh, certainly, yeah. When you're further down. Rob, you brought up the Samurai Plus earlier, right? What does Trimagasi? Why does he have that? Why why does he really hang on to this uh, this item? Rob, you still with us? Yep, sir. Okay. Why does he hang on to it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess the <laughs> practical. I, yeah, that's actually interesting because you have to think a lot about how Trimagasi was before he came in uh, to the building. I mean, it makes sense why Trimagasi, the character in the in the context of the movie, has a Samurai Plus because he like, eats people. He's a murderer. Um, but beforehand, not certain. Um... Yeah, so he essentially what happens is if you're placed in a lower level within this, you're not going to get the food that's coming down from the platform. So in order to survive within that month or so stay, a lot of people resort to some sort of cannibalism or end up dying. So trigger warning, there is a lot of cannibalism oh, yeah, in this for film. Sure. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's as much cannibalism as any Hannibal Lecter movie, but there are little bouts of it throughout the whole thing. <laughs> and does uh, here's my question to you guys. Does Goreng, our, our main character, this idealist, right? Mm-hmm. Does he adapt or fit in to this, uh, to this new world that he's stuck in for, we presume, like, what, six months or something like that? Yeah, I think he, by the end, he's been there for five months, right? The, um, so uh, my own thought is this. I would say that Goreng, uh, after being exposed to Trimagasi and after being um, sort of very brutally treated, uh, which I don't think we're, we're moving, we're trying not to spoil, I suppose. So um, what I would say is that uh, just that he is very brutally treated, treated by Trimagasi and then does not encounter him again. Um, after that, I think Gurang responds very, very kind of poorly and uh, almost uh, kind of, you know, retreats inside himself um, until he's further exposed to Imagiri, uh, um, at which point he starts to see again that not everybody in the tower is the same as each other. Um, and when he's first exposed to the brutality of Trimagasi, I think it makes him question his thoughts about how to interact with people at all. Um, but then his interactions with Imagiri allows him to question his interactions with uh, Trimagasi and makes him feel uh, almost as if uh, it's kind of a mixed bag inside the hole, right? Um, and I think that that's, that's uh, pretty valuable for him uh, and leads to his growth as a character uh, and definitely contributes to his final, uh, you know, conversation with, uh, with Baharat, which is his last, uh, his last uh, roommate uh, in, the, in the little, um, you know, hole that he's in. Um, and, and convinces him more or less to, uh, to try to team up again, uh, despite having been, I think, arguably betrayed and then failed by his two preceding roommates. So to give a little bit of spoilers, um, at one point, Gorang really takes to heart what this administrator, um, his, one of his second roommate in the film, is uh, trying to tell him about how each of this food has to be divided specifically between different people, right? So that can last yeah. from top to bottom. Um, and then him and... He convinces Parat of this, and Parat agrees, and they both hop on the, the, the platform literally to go down to all the different levels because I think they're placed, what, on, like, uh, room, or level six? Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Level six. Um, so they're super lucky in that regard for that month. So they have to go through it. So they literally jump on the platform with all this food, and they start kind of parsing it out to every single person and the reactions are very different right you know there are people who want their fill and they'll fight or kill to get it 
And there are people who are willing to kind of, you know, play along with that. Yeah. So I think that we find um, those two characters really resisting the current, um, I guess, like zeitgeist of that prison. Yeah. Or that culture of that prison. Absolutely. Um, they're kind of standing against the wave for that. And my question is, do you think that they change it or that they uh, leave some sort of an impact on it? Um, yeah, I mean, so uh, I think that it's a little, um, you know, let me let me uh, default. Let me uh, go with Rob. I'm sorry. Oh, it's OK. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, so, yeah, I, I'd say that uh, specifically in the section where they're they're descending down the platforms, I, I kind of I think the film intends that for that to be microcosm of revolutionaries in general <laughs> because they go down and they have a very simple idea hey we, we we're not really dis- distributing the food properly we need to go down and make sure people distribute the food so how does it start they go down baharat has a club he says hey you know take your share if you don't i'll, I'll hit you <laughs> he meets a man and says hey you can't just go around hitting people Baharat. you have to yeah you have to work something out you have to explain it so then you go to the next platform and then he gives this very long-winded explanation to this poor person probably who has eaten in days about how he should distribute the food in such a way so he goes in this opposite extreme of one of martialism of uh, if either do it this way i'll I'll kill you or okay I'm gonna give you here's my treaties on why we should share this food you know poor person and they don't understand it and he's like oh I guess frustrating what's it them anyway um, <laughs> yeah yeah so it is a really interesting uh, those two characters are a very interesting allegory for revolutionaries definitely because it's like trying to find that balance between you know like a violent reaction to actually teaching people in academia and how society is actually uh, treating them within that Another important thing, too, is this concept of the message. We'd like to get into that really quick. Uh, I, yeah, so I'm sorry, unless, Rob, do you want to get into that? No, I'm fine. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so uh, one thing that I thought was interesting, and I, I do want to get into the message uh, as well, and I will with Baharat, but uh, just to define Baharat uh, really quickly, Baharat brings into the, uh, into the whole a rope, right, uh, which is an interesting choice. Um, and what that says to me is that Baharat uh, is a climber. He's a uh, he's a social climber, right? He's someone who is uh, moving up the. He's trying to move up the ladder um, of you know success by hook or by crook. Um, and he does do that, uh, except until when he gets to the top and he is stopped uh, over and over, I suppose. But specifically, even when he gets to the sixth floor, he's stopped from going up. So um, Gurang and and Baharat are able to sort of uh, conclude from that that. Uh, there's no real way to um, uh, to get to the top just on your own, right? So I think that this is where the message comes in, and I think this is uh, sort of really interesting. Um, they conclude that uh, in order to uh, send a message to the the top, the very top of uh, the, the people uh, there, uh, that they're going to need to travel down the, the hole uh, and then send up... Uh, well, in, initially they intend to send up a, um, uh, a, a, beautiful, uh, a beautifully prepared, prepared dessert. Um, that they're going to take all the way to the bottom, and then as like a thumb in the eye of the of the administration or whatever you would call them, um, they'll send it back up untouched to show that uh, that the food. I mean, so it's kind of like a snobby thing, I suppose, but also like a uh, uh, the idea is that um, there's a solidarity between all of them, even if it's enforced by Baharat and Gurang, and that the solidarity produced their their uh, ability to sacrifice. Um, but instead, what they wind up sending up um, has, I think quite a bit more uh, do we want to do we want to reveal what it is that they wind up sending up 
Let's give a spoiler uh, warning. Spoiler, spoiler warning. If you guys don't want the spoiler, skip this little part of the podcast uh, and watch the movie ASAP. But continue. Okay. We, we can totally talk about spoilers. Spoiler warning. Uh, but what they do is they wind up sending up a, um, a little girl um, that they find in the 333rd floor of the, of the tower. Um, they bring first, they bring the dessert down to the little girl. Uh, the little girl... Uh, who knows how she survived or how she even got down there in the first place, but um, the implication is that this girl has lived at the bottom of this thing this entire time, um, and uh, when they get finally down there, uh, they send up more or less the subaltern, the, uh, the, the most, uh, the most uh, debased and lowest of them, uh, back up as, a, uh, as sort of you know, proof that, uh, as, a, as a sign of solidarity between everybody in the tower, that they can look after the most, uh, you know, and the most uh, debased and subaltern of, the, of them all. Indeed, indeed. Why don't we talk a little bit about the actors? What did you guys think about the the acting? Rob, did anything in, or anyone in particular really stand out to you? And Dan, of course, also. Sure. I mean, I would say across the board, all solid performances. Um, yeah, pretty pretty solid. Uh, I mean, I, the only person I guess the only person I'd point out is is very strange. I really liked the one bit player the guy, that one guy who talks to Baharat on the fifth floor oh yeah <laughs> for some reason I know he is I because he has such little screen time I think he's the most impressive actor <laughs> because of what of how much he has to convey in that scene where he you know tricks him like oh yeah I'll let you come up and then I I mean I assuming he didn't you know do that other thing I mean, yeah his butt conveys a lot maybe. of emotion in that scene <laughs> i'd like to think that was some kind of special effect but and honestly the casualness yeah but the, the the casualness of his performance and you and just you're you're just waiting that entire time like this guy he's he's so casual and he seems so like blase about it that you, you just know like there's some sort of there's something malicious happening um <laughs> No, that's a good observation. What about you, Dan? Was there any actor that, that uh, really, like, I guess, spoke to you or called out to you? Um, I particularly liked Trimagasi. Uh, I felt that uh, the guy who played Trimagasi was, um, to me, the most um, uh, effusive in in his lack of emotion. Uh, he did. A, I, I felt like the uh, the the casual obvio uh, that he kept. You know, obviously, he kept saying that. Um, I felt that that was very well delivered. Um, he had an interesting sort of menacing way of speaking. Um, I liked him before he became a psycho, and then I hated him after he became a psycho, um, which I felt was, like, very, very impressive acting on, on his part. Um, his name is uh, Zorion Aguiliar, ah. the, uh, the actor, and he does a really great job kind of playing different, you know, personalities of this one character. Interesting. Throughout the whole thing. Oh, yes. Because he is lovable at one point, right? When you first meet him, he's kind of brash, kind of keeping a distance, establishing what the rules are, kind of confused to why Goreng doesn't know what's going on, um, and kind of kept to himself. And then you can see he really warms up to him yeah. and starts to develop like a relationship with him as like a friend. They end up like exercising with each other. Um, he reads to him. Know, Goreng reads to him. Yeah, Goreng reads to him, and he reads back with the book, and he really likes him. And then we're faced to the point where they get teamed up again on a different floor. And they're, I think, on the 88th floor. Yes, yeah. And that's when he's just like he ties up Goreng when we first uh, when he wakes up. So the, the way it happens in the film, the way they move you from one level to another level is they after the month is up, they kind of release this gas that makes you fall asleep. 
Um, and then they pass out, and then they rearrange people either with roommates or on the floor and all that stuff. And they keep both Trimagasi and Gorang together, I guess because they got along so well with each other. I think that the um, I think the way of... that the administrators do it is that they just always keep... So unless your person dies, they keep you together with them. Um, and I think that was the... You remember you remember the, the woman who travels down every, every uh, month? Um, yes, she's looking for her daughter. Yeah, she's looking. Well, no. So, so actually, they say that she's looking for her son in the, in that thing, right? So that's this is something I wanted to bring up later, which I was hoping we could talk about. But the um, but long story short, so this woman apparently kills her cellmate every time, so that she gets rematched with a new cellmate. Um, and, and why is that? Uh, the implication yeah, is that if you don't kill your your um, your roommate every time, then you get a uh, you get the same cellmate. And she's looking for her child. And yeah, and so they say that she's looking for her son in the uh, in the uh, what call it in the thing. In the thing, I just thought it was a child. I never realized that there was like a gender assigned to the the um, Imogiri. Uh, I guess uh, says uh, at least in Spanish, she says son. Oh, she does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But she got information wrong because she said that she didn't have that's any true. Yeah, children whatsoever. And she also says she came she in a, a year ago, so we don't know if that's true or not, but. We don't know if that's true or not, because it seems like even the administrator is kind of kept um, in the dark within that, too. And I think the lady who plays uh, Imiguri, Antonia San Juan, she does a really good job in kind of uh, playing like almost that idealistic bureaucrat. Yeah. She's like, nah, man, this is totally fine. This is how it's set up. Everyone just has to have their uh, their share of the food. You know what I mean? And it'll totally work. There's only 200 levels. There's no more than 200 levels in this uh, building, which we find out is not true, yeah. in the film that's not true at all. So she's kind of being duped by essentially whatever this gover- governing or rather authoritative body is um, on the top there. And, uh, you know, she, she really tries to fall for it. And she I think it's really exemplified with the item that she brought in, which was her dog. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's just kind of like how one's perception of what is good and what you think is orderly and necessary can be taken away from you so quickly and essentially change the way you think. Well, I also thought that the dog was an interesting metaphor for how she treats uh, other people, right? She comes in with the idea that she can, that uh, she'll solve uh, these people's problems by uh, sacrificing some small part of herself uh, and taking care of them as though they're pets, right? Um, and the uh, so that's, that's, to me, sort of like uh, a... A kind of a metaphor for the welfare state, uh, the idea that by that you can take care of these people and just do what's best for them by being smarter than them rather than being among them and being of them, you know, uh, which is what Garang eventually achieves. Absolutely, absolutely. Were there any other actors that kind of stood out for you uh, throughout the whole thing? What do you, what do we think about Garang? We didn't really talk about um, him. He was played by a gentleman named Ivan Masag Masagu. Masagi, I'm sorry for butchering his name, um, but it is, I think, Basque names. Um, so, so why don't we talk a little bit about him, and then, Dan, why don't you comment also really quickly um, about kind of like this Malaysian or Indonesian influence oh, yeah, that we absolutely. see yeah. kind of within that. But, Rob, how, why don't you tell us, uh, what do you think about Garang himself? I like the actor playing the character. Do you think it was a good performance? Do you think he really kind of put that message throughout the whole thing? Was he really the focus the whole time? Yeah, I would say overall it was a pretty solid performance. Um, I mean, I don't know how much uh, we should read his own decisions <laughs> into character, but 
I, I, I would say that he probably represents the type of person that would watch a movie like The Platform. <laughs> or at least a person at some point in your life. Like, I think the type of person that says, oh, The Platform, you know, a movie about class struggle. And they watch The Platform, and it's like, here's this guy, this is you. <laughs> it's like, it's you, it's you maybe in your early 20s thinking, like, well, I'm educated, I'm, I'm you know, I will change the, you know. I'm an English things will Things will work out for me. Um, so you're telling me that essentially whoever's going to recommend this movie to you is probably going to be holding a copy of Don Quixote <laughs> or another literary classic while yes. they're recommending I, the movie to you. As a, as, the fact that all three of us are pretty familiar with Don Quixote <laughs> puts us in the position of Gary at some point. I'd like to think, I don't know. I, 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 I don't oh, know God. if I'm currently in the position of Gary. Maybe I hope. I, I maybe hope I do. Anymore, I, yeah. hope, I, don't, I don't know. But I would say it's definitely great casting. Because he seems like a the college the the, 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 kind, the type of person watches this movie. I'll just say that without going too much into it. Hey, let me just say that I agree with Rob that he looks like Pip. Our viewers or our listeners are gonna have no idea. Ah, oh, bummer. Okay, but he looks like one of our friends, <laughs> named uh, Pip, uh, who I assume me. is a fan of Dan Quixote. Pip is Pip is the uh, lead singer in the New Brunswick band uh, Twelve the Times very, Kevin. A the lot very of famous and well known. Yeah. 12 times Kevin. Regardless, um, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, kind of this Malay Indonesian... Um... Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So um, so, just to, so just to talk about uh, the, the Malay uh, influence, um, so um, specifically, all of the names except for Baharat uh, are uh, Indonesian words for food. So um, goreng is a type of, sp- uh, like a type of like, uh, what's the word? Almost like a Frito. Uh, not like a Frito, like a chip, like a Frito, like a Spanish, like the Spanish food. Um, so sort of like a fried, uh, like dough uh, sort of thing. Um, the uh, imogiri and um, uh, trimagasi are also types of, I think trimagasi might be a cucumber dish. And um, I believe that imogiri is some sort of spice. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to call shenanigans on you a little bit. Oh yeah? Then. Yes. Uh, Cause I'm looking at the Wikipedia. Oh, oh well, there you go. You got me. <laughs> and we're seeing here uh, Trimagasi being named after Terry Makasi, which means thank you in Malaysian or Malay Indonesian. Oh, interesting. And um, Imiguri is actually a graveyard. You're kidding where me. People would bury kind of uh, like important people or, or like leaders or royalty within Indonesia. Oh, man. I find. But I don't know. I don't know if there's like a food correspondence to that. Well, I know that goreng is a, is a food. Goreng is a, is a type of like. Uh... Let's see real quick. Yep, yep. Why do you think they decided to go to go with those uh, with that that name? It's really cool. But um, well, I'll be honest with I you. Really uh, I, all I have prepared is uh, the idea that they're all named after foods because I thought <laughs> I thought that that made sense for them to uh, to all be named after foods in this food obsessed uh, you know like a uh, platform thing. Dan, so it could be. I mean, it could be. Let me see. I'm gonna look it up also really quickly. Imagery. Um, I wonder if there is actually like a food. You know, that, that kind of comes from that. Dan, did you think uh, we were really talking about uh, Dragon Ball Z? I did actually think we were talking about Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> uh, Kakarot is carrot. I would actually like some Vegeta uh, on my uh, on my Piccolo. <laughs> some, <laughs> you want some Vegeta on your Piccolo? Oh, yeah, for sure. Whoa. Oh, man, that sounds dirty, oh, my man. Lord. Dirty Vegeta is there. horseradish in Japanese, I think, did, uh, there, Jad. Made perfect sense <laughs> until you made it dirty. <laughs> it's dirty. Uh, <it's> <laughs> 
Well, it's still a cool uh, stylistic choice. I think that they they were able to use that there. Yeah, I would. Um, that does. Why did they go with Indonesian? What's I mean, unless they're all. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I guess we don't know too much about the writers, but I mean, it has a lot of Basque influence. And then even even Baharat, I think you told us that it means spice, right, Chad, in in Arabic? Yes, it does. Burat. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, which is uh, it's like a mix of spices and stuff, but. Yeah, it's, it's definitely very interesting uh, names from that. Um, I can definitely see the food connection there with him. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he definitely spiced stuff up. He kind of, his character, um, who was played by Emilio uh, Boale Coca, he, he was just able to kind of like, he appears on screen and then the plot's changing, the plot's thickening. Right? His actions yeah. immediately from trying to throw the rope up there and get up there, it was great. There was that really gross scene when he was trying to climb <laughs> up the rope. And the people from above him just poop uh, on him. Poor Baharat. It was so that was terrible. Yeah, it was so terrible. And he's like freaking out, screaming, oh, rightfully God. so, um, as I would. But, I mean, yeah, maybe there is some sort of uh, weird culinary connection uh, between these characters and, uh, you know, and, and of course the center, which is the food, right? It's the resources. Like one of the very few resources, such as water and air, that we all share, that we're all common to um, within society. So. Uh, what about, aside from the acting, um, and, you know, and obviously the characterizations, and I think we really delved into a bit on allegory here, but was there anything that really stood out to you guys in terms of, like, let's say, like, visually, like, cinematography, scene cuts, editings, anything like that? Um, I mean, obviously, so, oh, I mean, obviously the film has a big emphasis on eating, uh, mm-hmm. which was a bit of a turnoff yeah. <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah. Um, Lots of sounds of masticating, people Ugh. slapping tongues and stuff, uh, which is necessary. I mean, that's a, I, I mean, that's a, it's a big part of the plot. So that stood out to me. Yeah, the eating was really gross. I, I'll, I'll acknowledge that that was, especially when Trumagasi first starts eating right in the beginning. It's just for some, some way, it, it is made to be really disgusting. I don't. Oh, totally. And it's like people step on the food too. Yeah. Like they, they all react differently once the platform comes to them. So if you're, like, on level 48 or whatever, you'll have, like, four or five people maybe above it that would be, like, stepping on different foods to get to something. Yeah, it's been stepped whatever. on it's and spit on several times. Very completely met. Yeah, yeah, totally. Super gross. Um, so I felt that uh, I had a specific uh, scene uh, time that I thought was uh, particularly interesting. Uh, specifically, the um, when uh, after after um, Goreng uh, is required to uh, feed on Trimagasi, right? Um and then also after he's required to feed on uh, Imogiri. Uh, in both of those cases, there's really interesting sort of like changes in the tone of the film and the coloring of the film to suggest madness, right? And there are, uh, there are um, so number one, he has a lot of like fever dreams where he sees um, kind of like uh, people who are clearly dead, uh, who are now sort of his friends, you know, that are, you know, in his head with him. Um, and I feel like having those characters... Um, reflected in uh, in person instead of having it just be their voices or just their memories or something like that uh, is very powerful um, in it in that it uh, sort of like uh, provides uh, it, it sort of like shows how important they become to Goreng right by having them on screen talking to him um, and I, I just really liked that and felt that was a, a cool uh, a cool decision they almost played like the Virgil to his dog it, yeah precisely yeah. descending further down into the different levels of hell yeah which is the platform, yeah. or loyal in this case. I, and I tell them. Now, I'd also, and I have a question, actually, because this is something I thought about a lot. I don't know how to actually, what to think about it, but um, what would you, 
I, I, it seems like there's a bit of Eucharist parallels in the movie. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And yeah, what did you? I mean, did you think? I mean, I know there, there's there, there's a lot of Christian allegory. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious near the end. You know, if 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 Goring's Jesus, I mean, yeah. Tremagasi is kind of a, you know, a a go- is a god. It's like a like there's I I feel like there's there's um well actually I guess I'm messing that up because I guess he would eat parts of him. So I guess Tremagasi would be Jesus. Huh, okay. As I said, <laughs> I I had a hard time because I was trying to work it out. I was like, well, I, I think I think it would be like so, he's like a prophet, you know, I guess. I don't know. That's that's with the Eucharist, Jesus is consumed. Yeah, right? you're right. So who's, whoever's being consumed would be that. Gorang Gorang is a Jesus against his will then because he gets a, he gets a part cut off of him and almost eaten. Remember, right in the that's mm, that's yeah. he's the first person that almost gets eaten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, however, Absolutely. I so I totally agree with Rob. There, there's it's it's so so clear that there's like there's an intent to make uh, a Garang into this like messianic figure um, and like a Christ you know uh, sort of allegory. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many times where they say somebody asks him what kind of so number what kind of person would bring you know a book into the into uh, you know into the into the ho- into the Hoyo into El Hoyo. Um, and then also people keep saying keep asking him who do you think you are some kind of messiah. You know, and they ask him that over and over and over as as they're going downstairs. You know, uh, and then Imogiri actually says it to him as well. Um, you know, and they they make a direct reference to uh, to uh, eating body and blood as a, as a prayer. You remember, there's they 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 use the Catholic prayer for uh, for uh, what you call it for turning uh, for transubstantiation. Uh, when do, I don't know if anybody else is a Catholic, but they use they use um, the the transubstantiation prayer in uh, what you call it uh, in when um, when uh, Gurang is first eating Imogiri. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, uh, he had to realize he had to kind of resort to that, um, to that urge, I guess that really primal urge of survival, right? Yeah. And having to consume, um, you know, his friend who had died uh, in order to live. And he doesn't do it too much, but he just does kind of like the basic necessity for that. And I think he immediately kind of like rebounds from wanting to resort to that level again, yeah. right? And he's definitely the sacrificial lamb. 100%. You know, uh, in the movie and the such. Um, and for me, I kind of interpret it as like, it's because we, we always sacrifice those who try to help us, right? Um, and we can see that so much um, in our society today, right? Like our teachers are constantly being screwed. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. in this country. and um, Yeah, I mean, look at Imogiri, you know, th- right? She, she hangs herself so he can eat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say at the end, he's, he's like a, he's, he's a Moses figure. Yeah, I guess yeah. Add, add another uh, biblical a leader. Yeah, that's, that's a good there. one. Yeah, yeah, someone who doesn't who doesn't get to partake, and it seems like it does seem like that's a, a big theme of the. Uh, well, I guess we're in the spoiler territory anyway, right? Yeah, but yep, I don't yep. have spoiler, but it does seem like that's like the. It seems like that's the, the conclusion of the film, um, because for it's a lot of these guys, the every, yeah. all, for 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 Bahara and Goring. I mean, part of this trip is, yeah, we also want to save. We we want to save our people. We want to save ourselves too. We also want to get to the top. So it's still it's that's the thing is that even though they're not trying to maybe climb up in the way Baharat was, like trying to literally say, hey, you know, do me a favor, let me climb up. There's still some there's there's still an a, attempt to ascend in some way. And yeah. that conclusion of, hey, look, all of the ideas, all the things you believe in, all the things you want for the future is are good. That's not going to be you. You're not gonna yeah. live that. At best, you you need to find the next generation. That person needs to be the message. It's not the the things you create, the things that we can we we right now can create. 
this is it's not this isn't what's going to save the world it's going to be the next person that's you true need to yeah. give that to them they need it you need it to take that in and then hopefully they'll figure it out and we don't know there's no easy answer it's not like we don't see the platform go up and you see you know fuddy-duddy chef guy say oh my god we need to change the system <laughs> but we don't really know what happens we just know yeah. that whatever the future whatever the However, this mess, whatever's the future of the message, it's not going to be with Goring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no point for him to kind of see that. Hey, um, speaking of that, by the way, is there any way we can talk about in the editing cinematography part? Is there any way we can talk about the frame, right? That uh, let's talk about it now. The, the frame of those chefs, yeah. like what what's going on with that? Why is that? Why what, you know? Um, any any thoughts about what, where that's coming from? I think they're just meant to represent more of this kind of like bourgeois. Uh, type of culture, right? Everything is very like strict and tight, and has to be done according to plan. And you're only really seeing these kind of vignettes of them, right? Um, but there is a real emphasis on them uh, in these vignettes, right? There's a real emphasis on them uh, having this like real commitment to excellence. So what's going on with that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's just uh, what the people at top think they do, right? That they have this code to live by. Um, that they have to, you know, they have the resources, they're in control, so everything has to be perfect and laid out for everyone, and everything that they're doing is right, you know, um, and they're accountable to themselves. Yeah. So this is, um, so this is where I, I have a, I have a theory, and I'm, you know, sorry to ask my question and then answer it, but um, so the way I felt about it was this: I felt that they were a direct allegory for sort of like the professional, like uh, meritocratic class, you know. Um, I felt that what they were intended to be is um, they're sort of intended to be um, the people outside of capitalism. They're the uh, they're the people who are um, uh, they're by being the lawyers or the doctors or whatever the people who uh, who always get to just kind of like sit on the outside and always be very respected um, and get to be on top uh, uh, through like this myth of meritocracy, right? Um, by being excellent at what they do, um, they excuse it to themselves. Uh, what what they're what they're doing right um, so every day they work to produce this system that uh, that benefits themselves and benefits the very top of the of the group below them I suppose um, but uh, fundamentally is always 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 just producing the same system over and over every day even when they do the best possible work they can uh, so to me um, that is uh, trickle down trickling sorry, down. Yeah, yeah well but also um, just kind of uh, very, it kind of indicts this this idea that uh, meritocracy can somehow uh, produce like a, a you know a good system. That's a good. That's your interesting point. Who who do you think the head chef is then? I I would have thought the head chef would be like the guy on CNN who you know like Jake Tapper. Really? Oh, <laughs> Jake Tapper is yeah. the guy feeding all people in prison. Yeah, well, no, he's he's feeding them. You know, in the sense that he's there to uh, he's there to make sure that it keeps running. No, no, no. I, I guess. Uh, so I guess she's specific, but like, I re- one of the few, one of the shots I remember specifically is they have like a soundless like scene with. I think it looks like probably not a lead chef, maybe a maitre d or something who's walking through the kitchen, and I think he's clearly he, he pantomimes like finding like a hair and a piece of yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, but that guy, because you think that is that guy also like <laughs> that guy is Jake Tapper. That's who I'm talking oh, about. You think that's that guy's Jake Tapper. Totally I think that guy's Jake Tapper, Tapper and I think that, that 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 obsession with producing this like beautiful broadcast or beautiful oh, okay. whatever what is the way that they forgive themselves for being you know these guys who basically make everything happen. 
Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a great that's observation. That's great. So Jake Tapper is totally in this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you're a fan of him, totally check Jake it out. Jake Tapper has a cameo um, as a chef. As a chef. Um, <laughs> within that, please don't serve us Jake Tapper. <laughs> um, but, yeah, how about this? Why don't we leave off on our final thoughts about what you thought? Do you recommend it to people? And, uh, yeah. Why don't we go from there? Rob, why don't you start us off? Yeah, definitely. I would recommend the film. Uh, it's a very quick watch. Which is a, a thing that's a good for me. I th- I think any film that can get its point across an hour and a half, I think is pretty. That's honestly that's pretty commendable nowadays. Um, besides that, uh, it's it's a film that's surprising, which surprised me. You know, I, I think it has a you know it has an obvious political message, but maybe then a not so obvious political message. So you know, not only is it a not only is a film that's very digestible, I think it's it's a film that offers a lot more than a lot of people would expect. Excellent. Dan? Um, I was a dumb movie and I hated it. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, I, I really liked it. Uh, I had a great time watching it. Um, there was some stuff afterwards that made me think, like, um, are these plot holes or did I just not think hard enough about the movie? Um, specifically... Um, I had trouble with the idea that there was a kid at the bottom. I didn't understand why there would be a kid at the bottom. And uh, I still don't really believe the idea that uh, the, the administrator could be so poorly misinformed that, uh, you know, she spoke to a woman and thought she was a, a movie star a year before, right? Uh, and then the kid all of a sudden, or, or that, that lady all of a sudden has like a 13-year-old kid uh, who inexplicably changes genders and is at the bottom for no reason. Um, and also how the kid survived, you know, for the entire time at the bottom of the at the bottom of the tower, um, so I felt that those were those were some problematic, uh, you know, like a kind of failures in the movie, uh, you know, for me. Um, I'm not saying those are necessarily failures. Uh, I'm sure that if, if by the way, if either of you have like uh, answers to that, I'd really like to hear it. Sure, sure. Um, uh, just really quickly, I did really enjoy this film a lot. I do give it like an A plus. I highly recommend it for everyone to watch, especially if they like foreign films. There is a lot of uh, horror-like um, aspects to it, like, for example, can- cannibalism and some extreme violence. Um, so if you're not a big fan of that, I don't recommend it. But if you guys are okay with stomaching it, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, it's definitely a good one to check out. To answer your question directly, though, um, I think it does fit in very well. I think it's, it's a representation of, you know, bureaucracy not listening to communities, right? Um, or misinterpreting what a community wants or needs, you know, um, but maybe listening too much. Um, um, and I do think that uh, whether it's her actual daughter or not is definitely made made there to be a question. Um, and I think because of the size and the limit of the film, uh, they probably didn't have enough time or maybe even want to really go delve into that a lot. But I think them finding her at the ultimate bottom is that at the end of the day, it's like people who are selfish and who are greedy are not going to think about every single person and that a lot of people are going to be left behind because of that there you know um and i think it is it is there is a a level of it where it is um you know left up to interpretation within that but anyways we are hitting our end mark Uh, i do want to thank you guys uh so much for joining me on this and i definitely look forward to doing more of these with you guys in the future um really quickly just introduce yourself again and if you want to share some social media where people can find you and interact with you and have a lot more in-depth discussions about the platform or any other films with you please let us know uh dan why don't you start us off then rob 
and then I'll end it. Absolutamente. Um, so what's up, y'all? My name is Dan Coglin. Um, you can find me on my Facebook, Daniel P. Patrick. Um, please don't, though. I don't ever use it, so you won't find anything. <laughs> Rob? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Rob Cook. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Robert Lamar Cook. That's it. Cool. And I'm Jad Cato. I'm a writer for The Work Print. I do movie talk. You can find me at Jad Cato, J-A-D-K-A-A-D-O, on virtually any social media platform. Thank you so much for joining us in, guys. I promise next movie will not be as dark as the previous <laughs> two that I have done. Um, can I make a suggestion? No, really do hope you... Yeah, uh, maybe. Maybe after this, though. Don't, don't <laughs> have me uh, stick to it on here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you guys. Please stay safe, everyone who's listening. Uh, remember to social distance and take care of yourself and be healthy. Take care. Bye-bye, guys. Thanks for joining me.